our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here today with episode 194 of the Ham Radio Podcast. And it's me, Carrick, with ACG. We are joined by a very special guest, and I'm going to kick it over to him right now. It's me. It's Colin Moriarty. It's good to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for allowing me to join you today. Appreciate that. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been uh, weeks in the works. You know, Colin and I sent in a few tweets back and forth here and there. I'm like, I feel something brewing. I feel a special friendship developing here. I was feeling you felt it in it. your balls? Yeah, I yeah, did that's... feel it. Like, yeah, like you said in your podcast, I felt it in my balls, a little twinge in my balls. <laughs> yeah, I, shot, I took I my shot. I slid into your DMs. I was like, hey, man, you got to come on my show. <laughs> yeah, take your shot. Take your Absolutely. shot. Yeah, as I was telling you guys, I mean, and as people know that listen to me, like, I, I'm pretty reclusive and I say no to almost every podcast invitation. And I'm sorry about that. It's just... I like my J.D. Salinger kind of technique, so uh, I like you guys, though. And, and, yeah, we've been talking, and not that I – should be clear. I like the other people that also ask me, mm-hmm. but I like you guys even more, and so I wanted to be on the show, and, and uh, I appreciate you guys letting me up. Thank you. Of course, of yeah. course. Anything you want to promote? Anything you want to shout out before we get I'm right? not a very promotional person. I mean, I, I do uh, Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, every week. Um, it is – you know, I was uh, the co-host of Podcast Beyond during its golden era, and P.S. I Love You. When I was still kind of funny, so this is kind of its spiritual successor, and we are uh, fifty thousand strong on that one every week with downloads. So we're really proud of that show, and we want everyone to come listen to it. We uh, stand by one hundred percent that it's the best PlayStation podcast in the world. So come listen to that, and uh, everything else I do, I do a knockback uh, or a retro podcast called Knockback with my brother, who's a lead designer and animator at Sesame Workshop. So we talk a lot about our old memories and stuff like that, and um, it's all supported on Patreon. So if everyone wants to, you know, and I know you guys are too, so. Um, yes, a high Patreon tide raises all Patreon boats. Absolutely. And so I want everyone on Patreon to, to succeed. And so if you guys are over there and you want to give us a buck, feel free. But no big deal if you don't want to. Absolutely. And if, if you want to flick anyone a buck here, hold on. Let's just let the jingle roll. Flick a buck. Beautiful. Absolute silence on the other end, but still beautiful for me. <laughs> anyway, uh, Carrick's Patreon's down below. Collins is down below. Mine's down below. Uh, you guys keep the lights on. You keep the shows rolling. Thank you so much for supporting my Patreon, Carrick's, and Collins. Um, like I said, all linked down below. But enough of that. Let's hop right into our first topic. Gearbox has been making a lot of noise this week. I mean a lot. So I always say this. I'll say it again. Borderlands 3, worst kept secret in games. Uh, we've known it's been coming for years and years and years. We finally got an official tease all over at the Gearbox Twitter account. We saw a photo posted, cell shaded blood writing, exit 3, posted at 3 p.m. Uh, it said March 28th, which was the time that we were going to see the uh, PAX panel from Gearbox from 2 to 3 p.m., so we know that's coming. Afterwards, they've teased two more images and a third one just about an hour and a half ago, I want to say. Uh, the first image was a pixelated Maya at the dam in Borderlands 2, so we'll speculate about that a little bit. There was also some type of robot laying in what seemed to be a lab with a white glove on, so maybe a little wee happy few going on there. And then lastly was uh, the and symbol. I forgot what that's exactly called, but it was in red. Uh, and that was their last uh, tease for another tease uh, for Pax East, I think they said. That's what they put the caption as for all of these. But anyway... 
Uh, let's dig in. I'd love to hear your guys' speculation, uh, what you feel is coming at this PAX East panel. And uh, Colin, I want to start with you and just ask, you know, how much are you into Borderlands and, and what Gearbox does? I like Borderlands. The, the, the word you're looking for is ampersand, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, no problem. Uh, so I like Gearbox. I think that Borderlands and Borderlands 2, especially Borderlands 2, great games. Always impressed that Borderlands 2 came to Vita, although Gearbox didn't do <laughs> that yeah. for it. Uh, but they did get it to run on Vita, um, and that's pretty impressive. But I actually feel like Gearbox has made a series of strategic errors in the last few years. There are some studios that I feel like need to uh, uh, understand and embrace who they are and what they do, right? And then there are other studios that kind of can do what they want to do. So we look at you know, studios like Naughty Dog, where they move from Uncharted to The Last of Us to something else. But then, you know, even though Gearbox started with Half-Life mods and with Brothers in Arms and stuff, Borderlands really made them. And I think they made a huge mistake after Borderlands 2 launched in 2012 by not immediately going into Borderlands 3. I know that they had the pre-sequel made in Australia and all that, but releasing games like Battleborn and all that, I think were huge mistakes and huge time wasters and really hurt them um, with their audience and hurt their kind of their gravity in the industry. And so just for, the, for them to go back to Borderlands 3, it's exactly how I feel about Yacht Club games. It's like, what are you doing? Like, just right. make another Shovel Knight game. That's what we want from you. <laughs> yeah. And we want another Borderlands game. That's what we've wanted for seven years. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that they're finally veering into this territory, and I'm looking forward to playing it. Single-player, first-person, first, you know, shooter RPGs, uh, you know, that's why I love Far Cry and stuff. It's, it's right up my alley, so I'm excited about it. Right on. Carrick, what about you, man? A little, a little less excited, um... Just because of Borderlands, you know, I've told you this, didn't grab me as much as a lot of other people. But I will say that I agree with that Gearbox, because I got to sit down and sort of talk to the people there at one of the GDCs, or sorry, one of the PAXs. And I remember it was during Battleborn's time frame. And I liked, you and I both sort of enjoyed parts of Battleborn. I remember I, that. Like, I you will and, be honest and say I loved I, Battleborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, but I get, it, they do make these kind of errors. That's not the only one. It's also them going directly against Overwatch. Like there was, it's almost like the people didn't know where they were. So to me, this is sort of a reset. So I'm excited to see them reset and go, all right. So this is obviously what people wanted. I don't know where they were for seven years, not understanding that that is what we wanted. But Here's the only thing that worries me a little bit is that if it's if it's just Borderlands 3, it's going to feel pretty clunky because I just played Borderlands 2 and it's got some aged gameplay in there. So yeah. I'm I'm a little I what I'm more interested in is like are they taking any steps current, you know, gameplay steps and sort of taking in some of the gameplay design decisions that mm -hmm. others have done that have worked or are they just going to do Borderlands 3 sort of vanilla, which I think will be fine for fans for sure. But I want it to be bigger than that. My hope is. Because I would like to see them capture Borderlands fans, but also capture current... Because remember, it came out long enough. I talk about this all the time. People just got their fucking first Xbox yesterday. Like, there's there people are buying consoles every day. They're buying PCs every day. There's young people. And that's what I deal with, is a young demographic outside of the channel. And a lot of them don't know what Borderlands 2 is. So they, So I'm excited to see what they do for not only you guys and and myself who liked it somewhat but also the newcomers like you know what can we expect hopefully not a battle royale game yeah if I, it's a battle royale game i'm gonna throw a fit <laughs> i i personally doubt that but i feel like uh, so I, what they're I, gonna do is probably one of their teases the like I, I alluded to earlier the pixelated maya i feel like that just in its nature uh indicates something along the lines of like a borderlands coming to the switch uh, like Colin said earlier, the fact that they squeezed two onto the Vita is just insane. 
I remember trying to play that, and, and I love my Vita, but I remember trying to play that, and just, <laughs> it did not work for me. Um, but I feel like if you can make it work on a Vita, then I think a Switch version of the Handsome Collection with two in the pre-sequel again, maybe that rumored one remaster, that's leaked many times as well, uh, maybe that gets put on there too. Uh, I think what they're trying to do is put the Borderlands license everywhere. When you really take a, a wide look at it all, between the Telltale series, you have the Handsome Collection, you're now getting a one remaster soon uh, based off those leaks, and then if you're going to put the Handsome Collection on one of the fastest selling consoles right now, uh, and then you're going to announce three, which I think there's going to be a lot of buzz around, and it's going to bring attention to just Borderlands and where do you get started and what do you do to get involved and what's the best Borderlands game to play, which I personally believe is two. Um, and I think that's what they're trying to do is establish the remaster Switch version, which I think can cater to those younger audiences that you were talking about who are maybe hopping into uh, you know, Borderlands for the first time. Because, uh, let's be honest, it's a Nintendo console. A lot of kids are going to be picking that up. Uh, so, although Borderlands is a more mature shooter, so <laughs> I don't know whose parents would want them playing that. <laughs> but I, I do digress. I, I'm excited, personally, to see what they're doing with the game because, you know, like we were talking about, we saw Battleborn come out and not do well. Uh, they did Project 1v1. I don't know what's happening with that at all. Uh, it seems like what's happened now is Borderlands 3 has been forced into a position where uh, many years ago it wouldn't have had to be, you know, lighting the world on fire. Now it has to do insanely well to gain some uh, traction back for the company. And in turn, I am scared because I, I said this in a, a previous video of mine, but I'll say it again, is that uh, we've seen a lot of loot and shoots. We, we've all been playing the Division 2. There was Anthem. There's been Destiny. Uh, we live in a, 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 a world without Borderlands that has had loot and shoot for a while and all those games have one thing in common which is monetization i think uh division two is not too egregious though but uh, that's besides the point is that is gearbox going to try to enter into that monetization uh, monetization scheme now with borderlands which would be a good fit because they need this to work they need this to make money i wanted to get some of your guys thoughts on that as well do you think they're going to take that route or are they going to stay more the the co-op shooter that they've always been known for go ahead colin Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I think that it's safe to assume that Borderlands 3 is going to be very similar to Borderlands 2, where it's probably playable solo, probably playable with a friend, probably playable with a few people. I would be surprised if they went against the grain with that, because that is what people love about Borderlands. I love Borderlands because I can play it by myself. Mm -hmm. But some people, or many people, like Borderlands because they can play the same experience with friends. And so I think it's important that they stay true to that. But it's interesting because Borderlands 2 made Gearbox shit ton of money, uh, you know, enormous amounts of money. And I know people that work there and have worked there and the bonus checks were flowing and the cash was flowing yeah. and, and everything was good. And they've gotten into this more publisher centric role now when you really think about them. Battleborn was internally developed, but remember that they they published and really didn't develop Colonial Marines. And then right. obviously the Homeworld games that they acquired from the THQ fire sale, they published those. They published We Happy Few before Compulsion got purchased by Microsoft, they published Bulletstorm on PS4 and Xbox One for People Can Fly, so they have money, you know what I mean? And so they have ways to experiment and ways to, I think, give players the solid Borderlands 2-esque isolated experience that doesn't require loot boxes, that doesn't require monetization. My hope is that they go down that road and kind of show that these kinds of games can exist without that particular grind or without that particular hand held out. I mean, even when I was playing Far Cry 5, which I, or Far Cry New Dawn, rather, which I liked a lot, I was amazed by how much they were pushing in the single-player experience, how much they were pushing me to buy 
you know, co- Ubisoft coins or currency, whatever the fuck it's called. Right, those bars. And so I really, yeah. I really think that, that, you know, Gearbox, especially because people don't really, people aren't crazy about Gearbox right now. It would be very cool for them to come out and say, hey, Borderlands 3 is going to be exactly what you guys expected it. No monetization. You pay 60 bucks for it. That's all you're going to pay for it. We're going to have a DLC plan, very extensive DLC plan like we did with Borderlands 2. I think that's really exciting. And the first Borderlands game is absolutely coming to PS4 and Xbox One. And my right. assumption is, is that that is going to happen. Maybe that's a day-and-date announcement. You know, um, it, you know, Peggy and I think ESRB already rated it, so that it's guaranteed to come. I, just, I don't think it's a matter of if but when. So I think that that would be really exciting. Like, hey, we're announcing Borderlands 3. Maybe, like you said, uh, the Handsome Collection is coming to Switch. And Borderlands 1 is available right now. You know, if, uh, for 15 bucks, whatever you want on PSN. I think that would be very exciting. Yeah, and I would go back awesome. and play it. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's certainly been long enough. Would you hop back into Borderlands 1, Garrick? Or do you think that that would... Because you were talking about two feeling aged. And I, I personally, these past two weekends, since you know the three hype trains picked up, I've been hopping back in. Uh, I've completed both of them. And I will say that there's something odd about Borderlands I've noticed is that it's the only game that almost encourages you at times to go down and die so you can refill your health. Um, and I, I think it's something a lot of people forgot and, and maybe don't realize until they play it again. In fact, the only one that didn't really have that was the pre-sequel because there was so much movement in the gameplay compared to 2, which was uh, not as floaty and didn't have the jump pads and stuff. Uh, so, Carrick, I'm curious, would you even would you bother going back to 1 with your, your current thoughts on 2? Yeah, if it's a remaster, graphically. I would, I, yeah, I would definitely jump back into it. Um, in fact, it would... I, so, the thing is, just because I didn't like 2, that's also a time frame. What was I playing at the time, which I don't remember. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, I, I could certainly do it. I also think when it comes to the monetization, um, we talked about this about two... We just talked about it in the international podcast today, but uh, about two years ago, I was saying, like, a lot of companies aren't learning from other companies for whatever reason. You know, it's almost like their developments at the same time, so they're not able to correct a mistake another company makes, and they we've seen a lot of releases all make the same mistake, all make the same mistake. Right now, I feel that Gearbox most likely is able to look and go, you know what, we don't need micros, we'll be the one who doesn't have them, just like Colin said. That's exactly what I think will happen. I do not think they'll have microtransactions in it. I don't think it's really actually needed for that kind of game either. That doesn't mean that they won't do it because other companies have done stuff when they don't need to, mm-hmm. but... I do believe that a lot of these companies, and you talk to them, like we've had developers on who are like, yeah, we were lucky enough to see the mistake nine months ahead of time on this other game that they, that they made some mistake, and we correct. We were going down that route. Like we were actually looking at that idea. It didn't work out. We decided, you know what, it probably wouldn't work out with us either, so we were able to, to you know, put some changes into the development and not do that. So I do think that they will release without microtransactions. And if they are, they better be... Here's what I think they could be, a character. I do think Mm. they could do a character where it's not a microtransaction, but what we as oldsters would sort of call, you know, like a DLC full character. Not an expansion like Shivering Niles kind of thing, but like a character. Are you talking about like what they did with 2 with uh, Krieg and the Mechromancer? Yeah, something like that. I do think that that to, to many is still not considered a microtransaction in the way that a lot of us do. And I mm-hmm. do think that they could get away with that. And if they're centric on, you know, if, if they're like, hey, we've got a single-player campaign plus multiplayer, maybe four people, and we're going to allow you to pick different characters and, you know, have some vastly different ones, which they attempted with Battleborn, I actually am okay with that. 
if that's what they do. I don't want 99-cent fucking guns, though. I'm done. Like, that shit needs yeah. to go away. The, the but, dollar uh, red dots in uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4. Oh, <laughs> which didn't look, by the way, if anybody got it, like the actual picture looked. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't look any deeper yeah, than that. I just saw it, it and I was like, nope. Even, <laughs> that's not even reflective of what you got in the game. <laughs> it, it was crazy DLC. So that's my hope, is that if they do it at all, it'll be a character. And it'll give you that feeling, right, of like, whoa, this is a different style. Sort of like <coughs> V gives you in Devil May Cry, mm -hmm. where you're playing two characters, then you're playing V, and you're like, holy shit, this is, this is a completely different style. I would love that for Borderlands, and I would have no yeah. problem with that it'd if be, they did. It'd be interesting to see them do that, because what I've heard in reports about 3 is that apparently, you know, in, in all the Borderlands games, they have like the three skill trees, and yes. uh, apparently they're doing away with that, and it's just like one gigantic tree, which... Okay. Uh, I don't know how that would change them rolling out characters in a sense. Like, would that make it yeah. easier for them or more difficult? Because what happens in, in, in 2 and 1 and the pre-sequel even is that you're kind of tailoring to a build where that sounds more freeform, where you can almost go anywhere on the tree, pretty much. Um, so that'll, that'll be interesting to see. But uh, that's outside of that, the Borderlands side of things, what do you think about a possible We Happy Few DLC? Because that was one that uh, fell well, woefully short of expectations. Like A lot of people were like, oh, this is a Bioshock successor. It's going to be great. And uh, I, I don't know about Colin, but I know Carrick and I personally did not enjoy it. Colin, do you ever have a chance to play We Happy Few? No, I actually bought it uh, and then didn't play it yet. Mm. Be mostly because I'm a huge Bioshock fan. I mean, it's one of my favorite, very favorite games. Same. And, you know, the, the expectation... <laughs> I don't want to say expectations because when people were saying that, it was based on the graphics. I really think and the feel it's of it, very correct. you know, yeah. and and so I was like, "There's it's." It reminds me of No Man's Sky in a way for the many years when that was being hyped up. Where I'm like, "There's no way you're you're making this seem like it's something it's not." And so I I don't know that it's I haven't played it, so I don't know that it's necessarily like a disappointing game. Okay. I can speak about that when I actually play it. For as much as it's just, it was caught in this hype machine, this hype bubble where it became something that it wasn't, mm -hmm. which is a little strange. But I'm most interested in the business realities with Compulsion now because, you know, they made this game and this game was in, pro in progress whilst Microsoft was buying them. And so is Microsoft, is there any dealings in the, in the documents or, or whatever where Microsoft's like, we kind of want you guys to now move on. Like, we don't mm -hmm. own this IP. We don't own this game. We don't care about it, really. We're not making any money on it. So, you know, you have to look at it from that perspective where, yeah, maybe they want to support this game and they have plans for it, but... You know they're not they're not owned by themselves anymore, and they're and they're working on behalf of a publisher and now an owner that have conflicting you know realities and and needs from that studio. So I think from a business perspective, it's super fascinating. But the big thing for me, the the, the clarion call is always is anyone talking about this game a month after it comes out? And I haven't heard anyone say a fucking word about We Happy Few in Absolutely. a long time. You know, so I think that tells you everything you kind of need to know about it from yeah, my perspective. We Happy Few, I think one of the biggest issues, also graphically, we've talked about this, that was a PR snafu. They should have gone out and shown more of it and explained how it wasn't like Bioshock. But additionally, when you do get a game like Bioshock with well-cultivated levels, Ken's known for being <laughs> a little anal on, on when, he, when he's making games, wanting things to feel perfect every step of the way. And one of the problems with We Happy Few is the procedural generation was, fa it was a big failure. It wasn't anything like, let's say, Sinking City looks to be where it's procedural, and then you have people going in and touching it up. We Happy Few was a bunch of boxes. And, I mean, you could tell when you went into the game. Like, you could feel that it was just, row, you know, like the pathways. We talked mm -hmm. about this. You're just going down this pathway, and you're like, damn, man, this is a snap map. Like, this is a Quake snap map in their game. 
And I think that that also harmed it. And no one will be talking about it. What I do understand when I talked to a developer there was that current DLC publishing would be handled by Microsoft. The original game handled by... That is what they said. Whether that's true or not, because I think we talked about this a long time ago, is like, would future DLC be published by somebody else or would it be Microsoft? And if I remember right, um, it's a little bit like, um, what's the other one? Hellblade. Mm-hmm. Where it, it's like it sort of splits off at some point and it ends up going to Microsoft after that point. I don't see them putting out DLC. For see, yeah, what's interesting about that is because you look at uh, a great example is Outer Worlds with Microsoft, where when it was announced yeah. for the that game was announced, it, people were like, "Oh God, is it going to be a Microsoft exclusive?" And they're like, "No, it's going on PS4, it's going on PC." Um, I think they talked about the Switch briefly, but <clears throat> they haven't like confirmed anything for that. They said they'll see, and so. Um, that could be considered conflicting interest for Microsoft, just like supporting DLC for a multi-platform game by a, a developer they had just purchased. So I wonder if it's a similar thing here where they're like, yeah, Gearbox can handle uh, the DLC with We Happy Few, but yet at the same time, when you say that, where you, where Microsoft pretty much would be handling it, then uh, I, I wonder really what is going to happen. Or it might not even be We Happy Few. I could, I could be assuming wrong, but when you see a robot lying down with a white glove on, like the white gloves were a, a a very poignant part of the design of that game. You know, it, like everyone had them on. Everyone had the the masks on. Uh, they had the joy. Those are like key parts of character design in that game. And so, um, I feel like it would be something we happy few related, but I, I I could be incorrect on that. It would. It's interesting too, just to think about, you know, because you brought up Obsidian as well. Mm-hmm. Microsoft jumping in. To these deals, just from a high level point, we, we weren't oh, flies on the wall, but I'm fascinated with the business aspects of the industry, yeah, and, and and yeah, and, and you guys understand, and like the them walking in and seeing what they're working on, and knowing that they are not going to be able to get their mitts on those games because publishers have kind of scooped them up, and having to kind of purchase and put money down and wait, basically for these studios to mature out of that old deal and get into this new deal. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, and uh, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what what they do with these studios as well, man. I'm, I'm stoked about Xbox and and what Microsoft's going to do over the next year. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not an Xbox gamer. I, I I make my fans laugh. I literally gave my Xbox One away to my my sister's boyfriend because I never play it. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm very much a PS4 person. I'm very much a Vita person. I don't play PC games. I'm very much in that ecosystem. Um, but just from a high level, you know, observer's point of view, I think Microsoft's about to swing really hard, and I'm I'm super excited uh, to see how that goes and how Sony's silence kind of resonates throughout the year and. And what they do to respond, it's going to be really, it's really, really fascinating stuff. And hey, Microsoft's a really weird, weird publisher too. I heard rumors years ago because the Halo collection was just announced for PC, right? A few days ago? Yes. Um, I heard, uh, you know, from very reliable people a long time ago that there was some consideration briefly at Microsoft, although and, and immediately kind of withdrawn, that they were even going to put that on PS4. Now, wow. this was like several years ago, right? And like, so there, the point of that is that they decided not to do that, but that they're open-minded enough to do really unpredictable shit, you know? Um, and and that's, like, that's what's most exciting about it, is, like, wow, they really did have a conversation about putting Halo on PS4 a few years ago? Now mm-hmm. it didn't happen, but but that conversation occurred somewhere there, and, and that conversation wouldn't happen at Sony. Sony would Definitely. never have a conversation about putting Uncharted on Xbox. So, so that's what makes Microsoft and everything involving them so exciting to me, and why I well, think that this is going to be a really cool year. Also, when you look at, and we've talked about this, first of all, I can say that at least the one person that I know who still works there did say that conversation happened, because we've talked about that conversation. If that's true or not, I would say that it probably is, because I would assume that the person I'm talking to is not the same one that Colin did. Um, 
but I will say Microsoft, especially with Phil Spencer, looking at the years that he spent. So he's a long-term employee. He spent so many time or so many years there. I think he's a long-term thinker for the gaming, you know, the Xbox as a whole as well. And now he's finally suited up with somebody who believes the same thing. That's why, yeah, Xbox streaming to PC, Xbox so, possibly streaming to Switch at some point. I do believe that Microsoft has an incredibly long-term game that people are not seeing. I think some of it's right. I think some of the rumors are right. But I think that there's a couple other things that we'll see that will probably end up shocking some people in the way that we're accustomed to platforms. Right. We are accustomed to platforms with exclusivity. <clears throat> and Sony's an old-style Japanese company, and that's fine. You know, they handle PR the same way. Like, I've had to deal with their PR before, and it's, it's a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> yes, it, it is. It's it, completely nightmarish. It, it's nightmarish, and um, you see that reflected in their game decisions, cross-play, developers being very open. We talked about this. We were like, I bet you a million dollars. That is not the developers. That is Sony saying no cross-play, because the developers turned it on a couple times, and we're yeah, like, oh, accident. sorry. <laughs> Nobody makes, we've talked about this, because that's my background. Nobody makes that accident. It's impossible. That was, that was a shot. That was a shock. Oh, so you? Oh, so that's interesting. So you think that when like Epic turned on Fortnite crossplay, they Absolutely. did it on purpose? Absolutely. Oh, that's without, awesome. I never even thought of that. Without a shadow of a doubt, I believe that that was. I mean, just talking, especially because I was dealing with network people at the time. They're like, dude, you can't push a button. Sorry, doesn't happen. Like, there's multiple things you have to do, and. It, it's it was absolutely a shot, and they're not the only ones. Remember, three companies so far have done that. Mm -hmm. So. I do believe, and we're now hearing developers say that. So my personal belief is Microsoft before anybody will make, well, and look at Nintendo. You have to take your hat off to them with Ubisoft, uh, Rabbids, one of the best games. They mixed with a huge developer and sort of said, we're going to take a, we're going to take a chance on mixing things you wouldn't expect. And I think Microsoft is well ahead of the curve for some of the stuff that people just, they do not understand that Microsoft in particular uh, is a little bit more open than I think a lot of people think. Yeah, I, I mean, think we'll see that. I, I think that Microsoft's turning into a company that's. I don't want to say they're they're dropping the whole exclusive battle like that's what Sony's known for, right? But I feel like Microsoft has changed into a company that just wants to be available wherever you can, you know, or wherever you yeah. are. I'm sorry, like they, you see the X Cloud, you saw people playing on their phones. We've heard the Switch rumors, like Carrick mentioned earlier. Now you see Master Chief Collection on PC. They want their games to be accessible to everybody because then you see. Uh, services like Game Pass, which are now including their first-party games. And then I, my friend uh, the other night was like, well, why would I even buy an Xbox at this rate? And I said, well, now you're hearing about a discless Xbox One that's coming out soon. Let's say Microsoft really shocks people. It's 150 on launch, okay? Let's say you get that. That's an impulse buy price range. Then you have $10 a month for Game Pass. Now you have a new Xbox console with access to tons of games, plus all their first-party stuff right then and there. So I think that's what they're trying to do is just make themselves as accessible as possible on any platform, partner with the right people and just get their games out there because I think a lot of people would enjoy, for example, State of Decay 2. Is it enough to get you to buy a console? No, but is it enough, like good enough to play? I'd say so. And five so, bucks. Yeah, exactly. And so if you're paying 10 bucks a month for Game Pass or maybe it streams to the Switch now and you pay 15 bucks for it, yeah, it's absolutely worth your time. But is it worth you going and buying an Xbox console? No. And so I think Microsoft is aware of that and aware of the situation they might be in for a little bit because these studios they bought, they have to very well develop the games, which takes many, many years, especially if they're developing at a AAA level, which I imagine all of them are. And so now you have to make your games accessible in some way, bring money in some way. And what's interesting about all of this is that 
they're doing amazing for their own standards. They're they're just not doing as yeah. well as PlayStation, yeah. who's doing exponentially well. Yeah, we don't know their numbers. I mean, they haven't announced their numbers, I think, since 2014. But So there's a lot of speculation about where they sit. But I agree, it's all optical, right? Mm-hmm. But I tell my audience, my audience is very PlayStation-centric, as we were just talking about. I do a PlayStation podcast. They are PlayStation gamers. These are the people that play Vita games and PSVR games. And these are hardcore people. And I'm trying to tell them, you know... And I think a lot of them are resonant and listening to it. Like, you better watch out. If you care about PlayStation's health, like, I, I tell them this all the time. Like, I really don't care about PlayStation's health or Sony's health as a company. Like, I don't own stock in it. This is something I cover. I'm not really invested in it like that. Um, but if you care about the longevity of PlayStation's brand and you like this ecosystem, you better fucking watch your backs because Microsoft is, is planning and, and, and toiling and doing good, big, massive, interesting, outside-the-box things. And while Sony might be doing those things as well, their silence is very deafening. And so this is going to be 2019 uh, in terms of the history of the industry is going to be really interesting just about how that battle kind of foments um, and how the battle lines are drawn. And 2020, obviously, will be when everything kind of gets unhinged, I guess. So I'm super excited about it. And even as a PlayStation-centric fan, I think a good Microsoft, a strong Microsoft, a good Nintendo, a strong Nintendo is great for Sony because otherwise we get complacent, boring Sony. Um, and I think that even though Sony makes the best exclusive games, I don't know that anyone would can, you know, some people might argue Nintendo does. Um, it's not only about that. It's about the, the ecosystem. It's about costs. It's about where your friends are. It's about a lot of things. It's also well, about when it comes out, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, we, we broke down the, we broke down the numbers, uh, in the international podcast last week for like Nintendo, uh, it, Japan and, uh, Xbox and how Xbox just by being available streaming, for Switch, already makes them more money than they're making currently. They're selling 1,400 Xbox Xs at their very highest uh, a week. And we were doing the numbers of like what it would cost to stream to the Switch and how piggybacking, for example, in Japan for Microsoft makes more sense than creating hardware, shipping it there, paying the hardware costs of building the hardware and all that kind of stuff. Like Microsoft's pretty smart on this kind of thing. And I, I think a lot of people probably, you know, I heard you say worrying about exclusives you know, I, I think that Microsoft's been pretty clear. Xbox is considered the low-end PC to them now. Like, you have your low-end PC that's very cheap to get into. Right that's why mouse, mouse and keyboard support is being, is being made available. But to me, what's even more interesting, once we broke down the numbers of sales and what they might get from digital stuff, that was all really interesting. But it, we did talk about the exclusives for the PlayStation. And one of the things I was bringing up to people is that exclusives are amazing. However, what are you doing between them? And Microsoft appears to me to be focusing in the between moments right now. What are you going to be playing between them? Can we be the best ecosystem for third party? Mm-hmm. Can we be? And and what that does is it allows for them to do their occasional exclusive, but not everybody likes every Sony exclusive either. I know a number of people who didn't like Horizon Zero Dawn. They're they're wrong and they're bad people. They're idiots. But, yeah, yeah, but. Um, <laughs> But the the idea that I think Microsoft is doing is incredibly intelligent, which is to look into the between moments and say, okay, for four months, you're not going to be playing God of War. You might play it once. And that's a great reason and a system seller. But then when you have five or six games plus Game Pass, you have backwards compatible of some of the best games available. All of a sudden, and the Xbox makes them look better than they did. So you, if they're enhanced, so you have this situation where Microsoft's going for the middle ground right now, middle times when those ex- huge exclusives aren't being released. Their first party exclusives are five bucks. I don't think people realize that. If you yeah. get Game Pass for one month, makes you your just got, them tough. 
It really and does. It does. It does. I even had to. I even have to say in my review because of the way I score. I'm like, mm-hmm. buy, wait for sale, rent, don't touch, uh, Game Pass. Like, yeah. because it, it changes the entire way you sort of look at a game cost wise. Um, but yeah, man, it's exciting. You know, to get back on track. I think w- when you look at all this stuff, it is. I think 2019. We've talked about this too. That it, it's. I think especially at this E3, Sony not showing up, it's going to allow not only Microsoft to do what they want to do at their E3 without having to worry about, um, you know, every single website covering Sony stuff. You know, that's one of the big things is now the word, that you know, the people, the actual people can look at E3, look at Microsoft more, there's more coverage. But I'm also excited, excited so much for the B teams, the smaller companies. And like them being... Like games? Yes, and like the the... The, we've talked about them before. The double A companies that like you and I actually like their games, but they don't get oh, don't like not. Vampire. Yeah, Let's Vampire. Go. Yeah, absolutely. Vampire is like for me one of the most enjoyable. Yes, it's buggy, but there there's this enjoyable game there that tried to do some different things. So and fucking it, good. 2019, especially around E3, is going to be insane. Is Sony going to try to do something to steal the fire? Because they are not going to be there. People forget Sony has their event. Microsoft has theirs, but guess what? If you're a fan, you're going to those. If you're not a general fan, you may not check those out. But E3, at least currently, even though we all probably assume E3's adjusting and how it sort of handles things, you got Microsoft there now, just by themselves. Well, with mm-hmm. Nintendo, but they do their, <laughs> they do their, usually do a fairly poor E3 overall. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's fucking 2019 is going to be insane, man. By the end of this year, I have a feeling. It, it's going to be an incredibly unique discussion about all these. Like, w- a discussion that we've probably never had before in gaming since, like, you know, maybe back in the day when NEC and Sega and Nintendo were around. Where you had, you know, a sort of a, a, a group in there that sort of threw a, threw a wrench in things. So, it's going to be fun, man. I'm excited. Right on. We will see in due time. And there also may be another one in the mix. That is an excellent segue. I very rarely have those moments, but I will gladly take it because we're seeing a new console presumably enter the market at GDC. It was announced uh, that Google will be unveiling its new platform at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, on March 19th at GDC, like I said, uh, former Assassin's Creed and EA boss Jade Raymond announced she has also joined the team at Google. So, Carrick, I know you said you had a lot on this. If you'd like to go ahead and take it away, lead us into the discussion, and then I'm sure Connor. So, will there's, a, there's a couple really exciting parts. First, Jade started out developer, you know, producer, all that stuff for uh, Assassin's Creed. People didn't pick up, including myself, because I didn't read close enough. She's a vice president of Google. Mm. Google. Pretty big. The gaming. The gaming like person is a vice president of one of the largest companies in the world, and they're then going to show up with Activision, at least Activision, from what I understand, at GDC, as well as Ubisoft during this event, this this announcement. Um, then they tested the browser uh, streaming of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which you could get an invite into via Chrome. So that kind of explains why we get Ubisoft confirmed to be there. Yeah, um, but you know. It, apparently, obviously, Jade probably kept a lot of her contacts working there, one of the major publishers. To me, GDC is what's interesting. It's not an E3 event that they're talking about. GDC is a technical-based event. Mm-hmm. Far less of the PAX fan, because I've been there. It's not, it's not even the same thing. It's not the same thing as an E3. It's not the same thing as a PAX. It's, it is far more developer-centric. And to me, that's the most exciting part, because I want to know, is it a console and streaming? 
because I've talked about my issues with streaming only devices. Like, I want to be able to turn it off and still have something like the Switch, you know, docked, undocked. Like, what exactly we're we gonna get? Gotcha. But I'm I'm just excited because they've got a game developer there. They're at GDC again. I just that is actually a big deal where these companies remember it's a big PR companies. They decide where to announce something. There's a reason why they're there, and while they're why they are not, for example, taking the center stage at E3. I think they get overshadowed at E3. I know E3 is not as big as it used to be, but I feel like they, they'd easily get overshadowed there. Good. And GD, I think GDC speaks volumes for what they'll probably end up announcing. Mm-hmm. What about yeah, you, GDC. To me, I mean, GDC was always my favorite show when I was a journalist yeah, to go to every so year. Good. Not only be, not only because it was like you know really close to my house at the time, but um, <laughs> because it's it's basically a series of seminars. It's 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 not. Yeah. It's lectures and it's really interesting stuff. Like I've been in these lectures where I'm like this. I've walked out of them where I'm like I don't know what the fuck you're talking. Like uh, I'm not supposed to be in this lecture. Um, but you know, really fascinating stuff. One of my favorite ones, as I've told my audience many times, was when Resistance Three came out. They did a whole lecture about enemy placement and monster closet placements in Resistance Three and why they made the decisions that they made and how they designed it and stuff. So it's a really cool place to unveil a console because or uh, an initiative because those are the people you need to buy in. It really yeah. doesn't matter ultimately like what we think. We they need people to make games, and so you need to talk to them first. And uh, you know, I'm like six and one half dozen in the, of the other on this. Like, I don't really feel like the market can withstand another console, like traditional console entry. And I don't think Google necessarily has any loyalty built up to it in the gaming sphere. It has loyalty built up with mobile. It has loyalty built up with its operating system. Um, so. I don't know that they're going to make a, you know, first of all, that controller, if that's real, looks like garbage. Yeah, um, I was going to talk about that. Terrifying. And, it's you know, horrifying looking. It, it, looks, it looks awful. If it's real, <laughs> I don't know if it's real or not. But I think, you know, I'm not much of a technical guy, as you guys probably know. I make fun of myself all the time. I'm, really, I'm very old. Um, but to me, I just, I look at it, and I'm like, this has got to be some sort of different machine than what your Xbox or your PlayStation. And, and, and it has to emphasize probably streaming or some sort of cloud technology like, are they really going to publish games to this thing? Is this thing going to be, like, another place where The Division gets published? And, you know, I, I don't, you know, you know, I don't know, Sekiro? Like, are these really going to be on this Google box? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. So, it, to me, it seems like it's going to be something different. Hardware is incredibly risky, and even companies that have explored it in the past, Apple explored their console, although they had a console in the 90s. They explored their console, and, and Amazon has been just dumping money into shit that they don't release in the oh. gaming sphere. Yeah. So... I think Google, you know, the fact that Google has gotten over this hump and been like, well, this is viable, I think is actually an interesting story in and of itself. Um, but you don't go up against Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft who have incredible experience without being willing to uh, to throw a few punches. So my assumption is that this is something different. But, you know, what the fuck do I really know? I don't, I, you know we'll, we'll find out, I guess, on Monday or yeah. Tuesday or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's going to play off this uh, project stream I'm reading about right now where they said that you were able to run Assassin's Creed Odyssey inside a Google yeah. Chrome browser. Uh, they said that essentially if you had a fairly robust internet connection, uh, you could run Odyssey at pretty much full quality. So um, do you think what we're seeing here is maybe a stream box that... Uh, might be affordable, so to say, because um, I think that's that's one of the biggest speaking points to to consumers, right? Like I, that's where I look at it from. Um, I know you guys make some good points about you know who, who they're trying to impress there, but uh, if if someone's hearing oh Google's announcing a gaming console or whatever they're doing a stream box whatever, but once you see it's in that affordability area, I think that cha- that turns a lot of heads because people go oh I can buy this. What is this thing? Um, 
And so when you see a box that can stream a game at full settings um, with not the most demanding internet, you need solid internet, it seems. Um, do you think that would be enough to, to bring some people's attention to this system? Um, Colin, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to interrupt. Um, maybe, right? Like, I, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. these, the interesting thing about gaming generations, starting with PS3 and Xbox 360, was that the costs are all becoming sunk now, especially on Xbox's side. Right. If you're an Xbox player, right, you want to have access to everything you've ever purchased, basically, going back to the mid-aughts, moving mm-hmm. forward. So you need more than just, oh, we can stream games. Or, cool, you can stream Assassin's Creed Odyssey. X, Y, and Z beat that game months ago. Like, wh- that's, not, that's not that impressive. It's like Watch I, I think on that, the Wii U. Yeah, no, exactly. Or anything on the Wii U with that. Yeah, but it true. was, it, it, to, to me, I look at it and I'm just like, you have to have something very explosive. Because if I'm a PlayStation gamer, right? And PS Now is clearly going to be folded in the PlayStation Plus at some point. It's clearly going to turn into a Game Pass kind of thing. And I'm sure they're going to try to turn on backwards compatibility or emulate PS3 on PS5. And PS4 will be natively backwards compatible. You're now able to stretch backwards. So you, to abandon a platform these mm-hmm. days means that you're abandoning potentially thousands of dollars of investments, entire friends lists, all of your saves and your experiences in, you know, perpet- you know in, in multiplayer games and everything. So I, I just think that even if Google has something super impressive, even if Google has something incredibly traditional, which I don't think it's going to have, is it still going to be enough to be like, oh, abandon your friends, abandon your purchases, abandon everything? I don't mm-hmm. know. I, sure. I just that it, it's if if this was in the early two thousands, before you know when people were only playing SOCOM and and Halo two, maybe that would be a different story. But um, I think that that matters too because I think that's what's going to Microsoft and Sony are going to hammer on that on those points. Oh, you want to play Drake's Fortune that you bought, you know, digitally ten years ago? Okay, well, we, we figured out a way to emulate that, you know, and so now you don't have to worry about what they're doing. So I, I think mm-hmm. that that's that's relevant too, and I think the longer people stay in these ecosystems, the harder they're going to be to break, which is why I think that um, yeah, been Microsoft and Sony are yeah, Microsoft and Sony are in a great great position because people just want to stay in those places. It's just it's the path of least resistance. I mean, that, that that's my. My take. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm out of touch. I don't well, know. No, no, because I think the only thing that really works in Google's favor, in my opinion, uh, you because you do more PlayStation-centric things, you may be able to speak more on it. Is that I don't think PlayStation Now is all that great. In fact, I think it's horribly priced. And uh, my, I tried the trial out just a couple of weeks ago, and I do like how you can now download titles for the PS4. Um, but I think the streaming is just very spotty, and I have good internet, and it, it still can be very spotty. And I guess if Google could break through on that. Um, that might be a big deal for some, but I feel like since we're already kind of familiar with tech like this that already exists, someone doing it right is, might be a thing that people kind of go, not eh about, but they go, oh, cool, and they move on. I don't think it's, it's a system seller in its own right. And, and like you guys mentioned earlier, uh, there were leaked diagrams of the Google whatever controller, and it looked almost like a hybrid of a, uh, a 360 controller that had been flat, or a 360 and PS4 controller that kind of has been flattened down. Um, it looked incredibly uncomfortable and rigid. And um, while I think some people overreacted to it for like eClout, I still think that it, it does not look like a good controller. Because um, here's the thing: is that people love the Switch, but the Switch has these tiny fucking Joy Cons that games like oh. Mario Party <laughs> want you to unplug and use that thing sideways alone and. As, as a person with somewhat big hands, I'd like to say that that is a fucking awful experience. So 
Uh, those same people who are, who are complaining about this Google controller, I hope we're, we're also mouthing off about uh, the, the Joy-Cons, because those are, those are terrible at times. Uh, when they are to... mouthing off about them, because Nintendo gets a pass for everything they do. They yeah. release literal cardboard, <laughs> and people get excited about it, so... Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. I, 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 I think the one thing that is it's easy to forget, and my personal opinion is if they don't do a, a bit of hardware, I think hardware costs too much because you have to develop the hardware. And, and Microsoft's talked in the past about how much it costs to just develop the Xbox. The Xbox, you know, you're talking billions of dollars to like get everything situated and set up. Mm-hmm. Google's got it. But what Google also has is something that no one else has, um, which is their own Google Play Store. And what I would see is I would see them saying, boom, you can stream to your phone, you can stream to the Chromecast, um, and our device, the Chrome, uh, if, you, if you do have a TV that streams, you can connect this controller, Blu-ray, or uh, sorry, Bluetooth, wirelessly, and you can just play wherever, whenever you want, and they release apps for t- TVs, you know, they do something along those routes. But what disturbs me a little bit is the business side of it. Right now, when I search for, let's say, um, Division Two reviews, I get you get your normal Google search, right? right. And you get a, you get three videos usually, the top three videos, and then you also get your websites and who done it. I could honestly see them, and this is something that we talked about in the podcast. I could honestly see them where you search, and it's like now available on Google Streaming as the number one result, mm. and. Also, Carmen Sandiego popped up as a playable game in Google. They had a, their own version of Carmen Sandiego, and somebody posted something very interesting, that because of the current IP laws, Carmen Sandiego, the only legal version to have is the Google version right now. So you're like, what the fuck? If, if everything I do in search always says, now available, now available, then the developers go, holy shit. Like, that means at the top of the Google search, because they can control that if they want. They don't even ha- they don't even really have to. They could just at the bottom of the Google search engine say games or like games available right now on your TV and you click it and it's just one of the hyperlinks. That's not mm-hmm. something illegal. It's not something that would get them in trouble. Google Play, boom, just like Microsoft released their app for the Xbox yesterday, you've got an app now that you just download to your phone and you're able to stream these games. Um, I don't know if that costs them as much. Well, I know it doesn't cost them nearly as much when it comes to setup right. prices. And that, to me, seems, if they leverage their own search engine, which, let's be honest, most of us, when we open our browser, it goes to Google first. Mm -hmm. If they leverage that, developers will want to leverage it. And that gets them on it. It's exposure. Imagine a storefront called Google. Right now, we're (laughs) bitching about Epic getting exclusives. Right now, we're bitching about Steam and how they handle things, because they're fucking horrendous. We're talking about all these companies with their storefronts, Mm-hmm. just to get to another storefront, you're going to be going through somebody else's storefront, which is Google's, if something like that occurred. And that is, it's awesome, but it's also haunting. Like, the idea of it scares the shit out of me, mm. because that that is a lot of control. Yeah. But they're the number one search engine. I mean, it's right there. It's like, it's right fucking there. Very true. I guess you, you popped a good idea in my head. Um, and, and maybe, because perhaps we're having a... An, a narrow path of thought on it of like oh maybe it's a box like a console where it comes with the controller and like one game how we always imagine it but what if because uh, you mentioned an app and i thought to myself oh imagine if they announced that this was like a, an app thing or a service thing uh, like you have a smart tv you can download the app and all you got to buy is the the google controller for like controller. 30 dollars yeah. 20 bucks uh maybe that makes it a little more 
once again, like I said, affordability, I think is huge for people, but I think that's awesome that, oh, I don't need another uh, box cramming my shelves. It's just on the TV right there. As long as I have a good internet, I can stream it right onto the TV and play with this Google controller. That's the only thing I could think of uh, that I personally think sounds cool. Cause then if it's an app in general, like you said, if I have the app on my phone, I have the controller in my pocket, I'm sitting on the train, prop it up, which I think is the most impractical thing, by the way, because so many like switch commercials are like, you know, here's me on the bus, here's me on the train. I'm like, here's me not playing real yeah. basketball, so I can play fake basketball on the switch. Remember <laughs> exactly. those commercials? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there were people sitting uh, on but... benches outside. I'm like, I can barely see my screen outside. How are you doing this? I mean, uh, that that is honestly what I think is the way they can leverage something, um, especially when you look at like a service uh, or, or let's say you buy this controller and it comes with a service for a month or two. And I mean, I, I know a lot of developers. I mean, one thing to remember is that NVIDIA's already got their own streaming gaming service. So and you have to be in a beta to, to join it. But I've done it. And, and I mean, that's NVIDIA. Everybody's trying this, but there's nobody with the money and the clout and the control of discoverability that Google has, not even Steam. There, there is no company out there. Yeah, it's a, and it's a, little, it's a little disturbing as well, to be brutally honest. <laughs> if, they, <laughs> but, if they really control their own fate, pretty much, as much yeah. as you say they could, yeah, that could be, that could be a little daunting for most devs. But most devs also, or I'm sorry, for, for like Sony or Xbox, but I think they're, like Colin said, I think they're so established that... Um, it might not impact them as much even with that control. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, the way I always look at it is, you know, going back to PS3 specifically, PS3's launch in 2006 and into 2007 and 2008 was, was bad, right? But Sony still sold tens of millions of PS3s during that time, right? Yeah. Like, even with all of the resistance, they still... And then they still outsold Xbox 360 in the end. Yeah, they did. So my point <laughs> is, is that no matter how bad it gets, like, I'm not entirely confident Sony's going to be, like really impressive this time around. I don't know. I, they make me a little nervous. Um, but the, the point being, I mean, to what you guys are saying, is I think you're making great salient points. The, the, just the, the side point is mm-hmm. you have to really fucking drop the ball. People went out and bought Xbox Ones by the tens of millions, even after, you know, it's rollout. Even, even after it's sports Even after connect. the Red Ring, the 360 Red Ring, yeah. remember? Exactly. Exactly right. So, you know, but you guys make a good point. Like, hardware is expensive. It's, it, it requires incredible upkeep as well. It has all these back-end costs. So to get involved in it means that you have to be pretty serious in some way. Mm-hmm. And uh, because all of these companies would love to avoid hardware entirely. And I think that that's kind of the path Microsoft is starting to go down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for Google to get involved, for them to go to GDC where the hardcore developers are, for them to do all these kinds of things, I think... We're going to get something I think that we're probably not nailing down quite right here, but I don't think it's going to be like a competitor. It's not going to be like a new Sega trying to mm-hmm. make like a new console that's going to, you know, sit. But it's also not going to be like Ouya. You know, I'm sure oh, it's going to be something viable and something and something interesting, but I'm not worried about it. And I don't think most hardcore fans are going to pay attention. And, and, and again, to my point, you have to literally bludgeon hardcore console fans with like a brick in the face for them to even consider walking away from these consoles. You know? Well, people so. didn't walk away from Bethesda. And, I mean, uh, let's be honest. Like, if you look at Skyrim and you look at Fallout, on this PS3, they were trash. Like, they had horrendous issues, and people still bought those. So, yeah, you, got, you, have, to pretty much, you have to pretty much do some horrendous stuff for people to actually truly walk like away. Konami-level kind of stuff, I think. That's, you know... I mean, I think that's like the... But I think that's like a pinnacle example. No one... 
I don't think anyone supports them, especially when you look at Metal Gear. What was it? Uh, the, the the zombie one, not oh, Rising. Oh God, the terrible one. Survive, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Survive. Yeah. Oh, I bought it on Amazon for ten bucks. Did you like it? I haven't even opened it. Yet. It's thirty dollars. No, it'll, it'll probably never be opened. You paid thirty bucks too much somehow. They owe you twenty dollars, Colin. Twenty dollars. They owe you twenty dollars, dude. I'm telling you, man. And I oh, rarely and, say that. And real quick, just because you guys brought up Jade Raymond, uh, you know, and her involvement with this, I'm not incredibly satisfied that that's a big deal. Mostly because Jade Raymond was at EA at Motive for a while, and other than Battlefront 2, kind of just sat there for a few years, and nothing really interesting happened. So mm-hmm. they got her, and, and she's certainly knowledgeable, and she certainly has production shops. I don't think anyone would dispute that, but... I don't know that her involvement in this is really that impressive to me. Like, she hasn't made... She, what's the last thing she did that really anyone cared about? It was, like, almost 10 years ago at this point. So, yeah, you know, I, to, it, to me, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, cool, you got Jade Raymond, and she definitely has, you know, a, a, as you were saying, she's VP, and she she has a lot of knowledge and a lot of respect, and I'm not disrespecting her. I just simply look at it. It's not like you're getting fucking Neil Druckmann. Right, you know, or right. someone like, or, you know, I, I, I don't know, someone that made something recently. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I'm excited about it. I mean, you know, not not to play because I can guarantee you I'm not going to buy it. But certainly to uh, commentate and and possibly make fun of it. Yeah, I'm very excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> right on. All right. Uh, next on the list is a a, l- a little sneaky announcement. I'd like to call it. I, I think a lot of the news cycle has been dominated by other things. Where uh, Turtle Rock Studios has announced a title called Back Back for Blood. Uh, so they made Left 4 Dead, and yes, this is titled similarly, Back 4, number 4, Blood. Uh, they did an FAQ on their Turtle Rock forums. Pretty much they describe it as a co-op zombie FPS with uh, new features. We aren't ready to talk about just yet. That fucking cracks me up, by the way, man. I, I hate when game developers do that. Um, they're just like, we're doing something, but we're not ready to talk about it. It's like, alright, then no one, no one was like pleading for this. Please wait. Um... How are you planning to succeed against recent and upcoming AAA zombie and co-op shooters? We're going back to our roots at the same time as innovating on them. Uh, we know we have some big shoes to fill, but we're going all out to surpass everything we've done before. Um, they have nothing on the story or lore. Uh, it's going to be on the PS4, Xbox One, PC. More possibilities aren't out of the question. Um, what happened to your other game slash partnership? We can't get into details, but both parties decided to move on. How much is it going to cost? We haven't locked down a price point yet, but it will be a premium premium AAA title. Uh, right now, we're focusing on making the best, most fun, and exciting game we can. We'll figure out post-launch stuff later, but if we do have post paid post-launch content like microtransactions, we want to do something that the community feels good about. Uh, it's not Left 4 Dead 3. It's a brand new original IP, for those who did not know. Uh, they don't have a release date yet. It's not a Battle Royale game. There will be PvP. There will be a campaign. Uh, there is no Evolve 2 because 2K owns the rights to Evolve and the contract to work on the game had expired in 2016. Um, they said that they don't know about a Founders Pack or pre-order dates and they don't have a date yet on when Community gets to play. Can you see that? Do you guys get this? Isn't this fucking amazing? <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. I, I don't understand how Back for Blood, not only the number four, but Back. Your mm. Back for Blood has nothing to do <laughs> With Left for Dead or the Left for Dead universe, what? 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 You're yeah. back for blood, so you're coming back to something. The four, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with Left for Dead. That's a little weird. But I'm, you know, they have a new publishing partner, which is I think what's most interesting about this entire story. And WB mm-hmm. and WB is incredibly capable uh, as a publisher, incredibly effective, and and finds and usually publishes only a few games of a AAA provenance every year. Um, so, you know, I, I felt like Evolve was ahead of its time. It wasn't Definitely. like. 
it wasn't a game I care about. Like, I, we're going to talk about the Division 2 in a little bit. I play the Division entirely alone. That's how I play it. I love playing games like that. And so I, Evolve wasn't for me, but I felt like Evolve just came out too soon. And uh, I'm glad that they survived that ordeal. Uh, not that not that's a huge surprise. They had a bunch of Valve money injected into them. People really loved them. Um, but I just don't understand why you... I, I guess they really can't, because Valve probably owns the Left 4 Dead IP, so my assumption is that you can't probably directly reference it. Um, but... It's cool that they have a new partner in publishing, and it's cool that they're making something new and they're going back to their roots. This is what we were talking about, indeed, with uh, with Gearbox earlier. Mm-hmm. Make what the people want. Yeah. What do they expect out of you? Well, they want Left for Dead. You tried mm-hmm. Evolve; it was cool. It was a nice little asymmetric thing. But uh, so I'm excited for fans. You know, I'm excited for fans. Carrick, I know you said uh, you had an interesting little quote for for your thoughts on zombies. Yeah, I was just saying that they're like the lens flare of the 2000s. Like it's getting. It's, <laughs> It's just, it, I mean, man, uh, again, like days gone, I don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue with them. It's just that um, they, when they announce them, my brain turns off. It doesn't mean I won't like them because I, buggy as it was, I've had a good time with State of Decay. Good. Not great, but good. There's been, there's some chops there for gameplay. Um, but when they announced this and then all the oddities with the naming and stuff, my brain just was like, man. And I, I do, I have a tendency to shut off on purpose, too, because as a reviewer, I don't want to get caught up in a hype, negative or positive. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, we announced it, and I'm just like, all right, great, and I guess I'll just return to it when it's actually available to play. Because at least that announcement, the naming, the idea, maybe Back for, for Blood is a story element, you know? Maybe they're like, you know, these guys, I don't I don't know, were chased out by zombies, and they're coming back to get their home. I have no clue. That sounds but horrible. That's the, <laughs> It sounds horrible. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. Is like, at some point, you're just like, all right, whatever, man. I mean, I, I don't have anything against good ones. Mm-hmm. It's just, man, I am... I'm, And you know me, because I've said this before. I don't have an issue like a lot of people do with sequels. You know, a lot of people be like, Far Cry 5, and I'm all, eh, it's good, it's good. You know, I, like, I don't gotcha. care. But for zombies overall, they, they're just really done for me. Just, just overall, as a theme. Yeah, I... I guess it kind of tailors off uh, a bit of our discussion from last week about Days Gone, where we were looking at the impressions that people were posting and going, all right, like, it's more zombie shooting, but in an open world area, and, you know, I'm sure there will be some audio logs to discover, and it really rests on the the story being good, pretty much, because I don't think uh, zombie gameplay is as exciting in in massive hordes like it once was. I will say... um, I think the announcement was a bit forced because with Days Gone, you know, gaining a little bit more attention, uh, World War Z actually looking like the Left 4 Dead people were searching for, and then mm-hmm. this is kind of announced with zero details other than it exists. We're doing, you know, we the Left 4 Dead makers are doing a zombie game again. I feel they're resting on their roots a bit too much, where no one, not no one was looking for this, like they shouldn't have done it, but no one was searching for an announcement from them right now where they could have waited till they had stuff to show and been, hey, this is coming this year. But I think they forced an announcement out. Uh, it's going to be missed by a lot of people uh, because there's zero information, just other than it exists. And uh, I think that'll ultimately hurt them a bit because now you're going to see a bunch of other zombie games coming out and dominating the conversation uh, during their announcement period. With uh, I, I think... Played. I just I'm excited for them simply because I generally root for in big independent AAA studios because they're just so rare. Um, studios that like aren't affiliated, don't have deals with anyone, aren't 
you know, that's kind of why I was bummed when Obsidian got scooped up because I was like, well, this is like we're literally one of a half dozen big studios that could be a mercenary and work for anyone, and now that's not really a thing anymore. And Insomniac is so much in the second party with Sony that they, they're kind of bordering that line as well. But you know, so with this game, I'm, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I hope it does well. You know, I totally hear you. We make fun of the zombie thing on Sacred Symbols all the time. Mm-hmm. Chris was cracking me up because I never really thought about how there are zombies, you know, clickers or freakers, whatever the fuck they call them in that game. Uh, and but they're riding around like loud ass Harley Davidson motorcycles and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah. that is a little weird, yeah. isn't it? Uh, that doesn't really make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, so uh, with these small, or rather with these big studios that have remained independent, that no one has scooped up, uh, I just want them to do well because they seem to have the most freedom and the most flexibility. Um, so I think that ultimately these studios remaining independent, making what they want, finding publishing partners that make sense for them, I, I think is a positive. And when these games don't do well, like if this game doesn't do well, I bet you Turtle Rock maybe crawls back to Valve or tries to do another thing with Evolve or goes out of business. And, you know, the market's obviously going to speak and people should speak with their wallets and buy the games that they want to buy. And you can't make decisions based on the like or the well-being of a studio. But I don't know. When I see a story like this, I'm like, ah, nice, you know, because yeah. it's, it's, it's just not something you see very often. Yeah, and actually, you know what? I may have just answered my own question. They have a little blurb at the bottom saying, with so little to tell us, why are you announcing it now? And I don't think really as much, but at least they actually address it to some extent. Uh, They say, Back for Blood is a hugely ambitious project, and we need the best of the best to come join us. As an independent studio, we have to announce early to let our industry know we're up to something big. If you are in the video game business, pardon me, and you are looking to make real contributions to a brand new AAA IP developed in Southern California, check us out. Our job listings are here with more to come in the next year. We also want to hear all about what you think about the games we've made in the past and what you are looking forward to in the future. We love getting to know and interact with our community, and the sooner we can do that, the better. So, It's it's like whatever. It actually, yeah. it's funny because it reminds me of Borderlands. Remember, Borderlands 3 was announced, kind of. Like, years that, ago, where they were like, we want to right? do Borderlands 3. It, yeah. I, I remember this art that they released where it was kind of like in that cel-shaded thing, but it was like it was silhouettes with, like, question marks over them, where it's like, this could be you, and this could be you working on this mm-hmm. game. And it's like, all right. like So this that makes it sound to me like pre-production and years away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, not really much to go off of, Karen. Do you got anything else to add, or...? Nada. Not really. Other, I mean, I uh, yeah, like I, I always say I don't think most developers wake up in the morning and go, man, today's going to rock to make a shitty game. That's going to be amazing. I don't think that's ever happened. So my hope is it turns out to be good. And, um, you know, yeah. and that's awesome because just because I don't like zombies doesn't mean I won't turn around and, you know, like I said, play the game if it's if it's well, fun. You liked, uh, you liked Earthfall, was it called? I yeah. Well, or I had you fun somewhat with enjoyed friends. it. Yeah, yeah. With takedown, we did some multiplayer streams. Um, it, and and but it was aliens. But it was that setup. And I do admit I have a weakness for that kind of setup, the four player, like mm-hmm. going against horde setup. I do have a you know a personal enjoyment of those. It's just I had sort of. I mean, you're at at some point. What are you gonna do to be different? Do caveman era like Far Cry Five? That's or, or Far Cry Primal. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, you don't Please have don't. a lot of places to go. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I hate you. I'm going to come Colin, to your you house. you like Far Cry Primal? Uh, yeah, I do. I oh, platinum did. Uh, I platinum did uh, in general. Oh. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, of pretty much anything Far Cry, though. So, oh, you know, it, it was oh. it was certainly not the finest experience, but it was uh, it was fun. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie, 
suck it. I'm, <laughs> um, but no, I, uh, I, I mean, I hope it turns out to be good. I'm just not really buying into it until I see more, and which is sort of my stance now on a lot of things. Gotcha. Step back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the only thing that, that really sticks out is it, it evokes those high school memories where my friends and I were always on the cutting edge of what's the next co-op experience. For sure. And, and so um, I'm sure there are lots of people out there like that. Uh, we're starting to see a, a little bit of co-op support here and there, um, more so than we had previously. So um, it's always good to see more. I guess just, if anything, I, I wish the announcement was, you know, because... Ever since I'd say, I always say this, but ever since Fallout 4, I, I feel like, you know, the, the, the pattern of the industry changed a bit where announcements and releases became much closer because it works. You know, people don't want to wait for something that they're looking forward to. And this would very well be, I think, something I'm willing to look forward to, but there's nothing to go off of. It's just like, okay, it exists, and they're, they're doing hirings, which I think people would have looked their way anyway, um, just because there's lots of people who are looking to crack the industry every single day. So what Speaking the hell do I know? I had friends who bought the PS3 for Last Guardian. Because remember Guardian. that was announced? Yeah, Last Guardian was announced. Oh, for the yeah, PS3. yeah. And, mm. I, and I had people, and that burned a lot of people. Like, I, like you said, it's like what you hope for. You want that a tighter release schedule. Because, man, you announce something three, four years down the road, you have no clue what's happening. So it's like it would be much, I, I don't believe like Dennis Dyack did, who made, you know, Too Human and, but Shining in the Darkness, where he was like, it should just be announced day and date. You know, mm. I think that's sort of like smoke and dope for most games. But for a lot of games, I would like, you know, six months, you know, a good ramp up. I know, I, I think overall that just helps us as gamers, too. It keeps your, it also keeps your excitement high. You know, you're not burned yeah. out on it, but you're also not uh, lackadaisical about it. Because, dude, how many times have you and I talked about this? We're like, I was looking forward to that game and it's out. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's happened. That's, as that happened to me stuff. three days ago. <laughs> uh, there was a, a Persona-looking title called the Caligula Effect, which came out on Vita, and um, apparently it was pretty good, but it was a little rough around the edges in, in some sense. Right. And now there's a new version called Overdose that has come out on the Switch. And I remember four or five months ago, I saw the trailer for it. Really sold me on it. I was like, awesome! I'm picking that up when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting there last night with my girlfriend. We're, we're looking for a game to play, um, and, and I see on the store is that game sitting there, and it just came out three days ago. I'm like, yep. are you fucking kidding? <laughs> I'm like, here I am yeah. grinding the division. Now I want to play this. So, How yeah, many I, times has my Discord told me about a game I was the one telling them about? Like nine months so ago. And they're like, it's out. And I'll be all, are you ki- How did I? Like, mm-hmm. there's just too much. And so to me, that shorter time frame for some of these is really exciting. I like the idea, and I hope it continues to happen. I agree. Fingers crossed on that. Last on the Skip. list oh. is just what we're playing. You know, talking about all the fun video games that are out there. We'll start off with our boy Colin. Colin, what are you playing? Uh, I've been playing the Division Two, which I'm sure we'll all talk about. But I've also I just want to give a quick shout out because uh, I'm a big hockey fan, so I watch the Islanders when they play. I'm a Rangers um, fan. But I, uh, are you really? <laughs> oh yep. God, that's horrifying. <laughs> um, Rebuild. So, that's like really hard. That's I almost don't want to even do the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, it's I fucking nice. hate the Rangers. Does, uh, do you hate so me more because I drafted John Tavares on my uh, fantasy hockey team? No, you got to do what you got to do. I, okay. You don't have All to be right. crazy like me. Like I also, I'm a huge Jets fan too, so I refuse to draft any Patriots players. Like no matter what, um, just because I can't imagine a situation where I would ever root for them. I'm a Falcons fan. It's a similar so thing. With, with it's a similar thing with the Rangers, but uh, we don't have to worry about them because they're terrible this year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I've been playing that, and we'll talk about that, but I want to give a quick shout-out, if I might, uh, to Stardew Valley, which I just put on my Vita, 
And I've started it and deleted it and started it and deleted it like five times. Okay. And then, uh, you know, uh, the Islanders games, and I'm watching Game of Thrones uh, kind of for the first time, most of it, so I'm not really like, I don't need to pay full attention to it. I'm, I'm kind of bored. Uh, so mm. I, I've been playing it on my Vita, and hey, I know I'm like really late on this, but I finally get it, and uh, it's great. So okay. I just wanted to throw that out there. Really no, great I would play. like you to sell me on it because I am in the same boat as you. I have started and deleted that game at least like three times, and I don't know why I can't get grabbed by something that should be grabbing me because that game's like up my alley. It's cool. It's it's really multi-dimensional, which I really like about it. So, uh, you know, you mine and you fight enemies, but you also farm and you also like have love interests and you clear land and you build your your home and you improve things. So it's once you, uh, for me anyway, because I'm not a huge Harvest Moon guy or anything like that. Once I kind of just wrap my mind around the fact that, hey, you take it at your own pace, there's really no rush. I mean, it's it's real. It's It's got like its own in-game clock and stuff, but you can really do things at your own leisure. It's very much almost like Animal Crossing in that way, where it's like, it doesn't really matter what you do. Just do whatever you want. And so once I kind of wrap my mind around that, I found it quite a nice accompaniment to hockey games or television shows as I'm watching them. You know? So I just wanted to throw that out there. I know I'm a little late, but I, I really am enjoying it. I think it's great on Vita. Um, and uh, How's but the yeah, division. Sorry, it's uh, oh, it's okay. It's it's apparently really difficult. Um, <sighs> totally doable, but it re- it requires you to get tons of relationships and you know all, mm-hmm. but nothing missable as far as I understand. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, so there's that. But yeah, the division two. Uh, you know, I've been playing it. I have a pretty bad relationship with Ubisoft PR. They don't like me very much. But uh, Bunty okay. King, my friend, who I, you guys might know in Canada, hooked me up with their PR in Canada. So they gave me a code right right before it came out and. Um, I was a big fan of the original Division. I played it entirely by myself for about 45 hours. Um, and so I jumped into this one by myself. And, and I think my game skills are atrophying as I get older because I'm finding it way harder than the original Division. And I don't know if it's just because I'm playing by myself or it's not scaling properly or I'm just bad. No, it's um, it's uh, not to cut off your role again. I apologize. No, please. But, but uh, it definitely, I've gone down a ton in this game. Like if, if you're out of cover, it's kind of what I like about it. When you're out of cover, you get destroyed. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for making it somewhat challenging. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. And so I'm enjoying it. And, you know, Washington, D.C. is a really cool setting for a game. It's this arbitrary city that was built just to be the capital that's in yep. swampy land, and it runs right into the into the wildlands and very unique. You know, there's really cool visuals in the game, like streets that kind of have some nice buildings on them but are also have these beautiful old trees that create all the shade and lots of cover and stuff. There's a lot of really thoughtful um and beautiful design choices in the game and i think it's just a unique setting i like the new york city setting i love the christmas forever setting oh, you know yeah. i think it's so cool it's such a nice idea um so i i think it's really fun there's a ton to do in it i've played it for maybe 10 hours or so and i've barely gotten anywhere i think i'm still in the first area actually like the first <laughs> area you unlock um and i'm dying a ton and but you know to your guys point there's something about it like i keep going back usually when i play a game like um, the newest Wolfenstein is a great example. I typically like to play games on the hardest difficulty setting and try to get the platinum if I can. And that game frustrated me and fucking pissed me off so much that I set it to normal, which is something I usually don't do. And I was angry at it almost for that. And but but that's like an arbitrary thing. And with this game, I'm not angry at it for being hard. Like I'm angry at myself for being old and not quick anymore. And and I feel like it's fair. And I feel like it's it, so it's got a lot to offer. And I'm sure for people that want to play with friends, which is most of you, um, that there's plenty for you to offer. For, for you guys that the game offers as well. I'm really impressed by it. And, um, you know, there's something about that particular IP that really resonates with me mm-hmm. that I think a lot of IPs... Like, Destiny doesn't really resonate with me or anything like that. 
I, I like the post-apocalyptic or the dystopian, at least, American setting. I like that there's some hope in it. I like that there's some order in it. It's kind of about disorder versus order. It's not really about, like, bad guys versus good guys so much as it's about what would happen, perhaps, in this situation. And so from playing it solo, I feel like you get that a lot more than I imagine if people are chattering in your ear constantly and, t- you know, saying terrible shit to you or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I, I like it a lot. But, again, I don't know that I would be the person that you'd want to necessarily listen to about it too much because I'm not playing it the way I think it's intended to be played. Carrick, hmm. what about you? Because you said you have a clan. You got everything uh, you, going on. Yeah, so I've only played, I'm level 20, I've only played about one hour with other people. It's all been solo. And oh, um, I have a 4K sniper rifle, 4K damage. I'm like, oh, man, like, I, I don't know what it is. I'm, I was a huge fan of Division 1. I. I did a walking the walk game design video on it, which is pretty rare for me. I don't do very many of those. And uh, it, w- it was really enjoyable, but first, I would say solo, it had some issues, for sure. Number one, definitely had a, a couple issues that would pop up at times. It, would, it was a little bumpy on your progress. And I'm okay with that, because I think that's a little bit more organic, where you have the easy times, then you have that battle where you're like, that was tense. Then you have a couple times where you're like, God mode, I'm good. And then a couple times, you know, I'm okay with that. This one... I haven't had those issues. I saw, um, I talked to uh, US Gamer uh, Michael a lot there, and he he was having issues at level 14, which I didn't run into. I might be playing it a little different because I do a lot of the side story in the game because I'm, I'm doing some design level uh, videos on it. But I'll just say that other than the shotguns, absolutely sucking um, in their range, it's, it's a game that I think handles games as a service probably the best in a long time and the microtransactions are not egregious they're there um it's just the apparel right that's what i've seen just the apparel uh, and what happens with it is the organic side quests and how they happen dude i'm telling you man i'll say there's a mission you know uh, one mile away and i'm running towards it and it takes six fucking hours because i have saved a hostage i have taken down a side mission where an agent's missing I have gone and saved like three people. I've there's been a battle between two, you know, different groups, and to me, that is that is a sign of a game I'm going to enjoy for probably a long time. It, I in fact I wasn't a fan of Far Cry Five as much as most. Um, I didn't hate it. I just wasn't as much of a fan. I think this game does what I wanted that game to do, and th- there's something about it that I can feel. I can play solo. We've got a clan already at level three. All the Discord patrons are in it. And that's fun, but the world is interesting, dude. Like, there's there's little things yeah. in the world that for world in. For example, I'm always a, a very big fan of in open world games of past and present making sense. So I want to see a car wreck, but I also want to see the skid marks, so that you know that you know what I mean. Like, there's a feeling of, yeah. of of occurrence. And in Division Two, there is far more even than in Division One. There's a mission. I won't spoil it for anybody. Because somebody brought this up on my podcast today. And speaking of you guys were saying a little shorter podcast, we were at like three and a half hours before we were like, okay, we're done. <laughs> like, we, we did a long one. It, a lot of it was division. But somebody was like, hey, in division one, there was a lot of body bags, right? There was a lot of like, because it, it, it was happening just right trash after. Trash all see just piles yeah. of trash. So this is seven months later. There is actually, I could not believe there's, there's a mission that actually explains that. And I remember sitting back going, that is somebody paying attention. Like, somebody going, it's not just open world mission-a-thon. We're going to make the fiction, make a little... What happens in seven months versus 
a couple days versus a week versus a couple months. And, uh, it, dude, it's just mechanically, you, let's be honest, Ubisoft's HUDs are trash. They're terrible. Um, and you spend a lot of time in them. So I, th- I had an issue I thought, with that. I but, thought, uh, well, it depends what HUD. If you're talking about navigating, like, the menu for loot, that took, like, a good three yeah, hours for my brain to adjust. But I thought you meant, like, the map and and, and No, 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 no. I'm talking I, about, I dude, the HUD, is, the, I'm, yeah, that's fine. I'm talking about the HUD where the space button works one second then on PC, then the mm, F oh, button okay. works then the space, then the F, in the same nested menu. Like, that's amateur hour. And I even emailed them, and they're like, yeah, we'll probably fix that. Like, I was all, come on, guys. That's, I mean, we've seen it in other games. But, dude, it's so, it's so enjoyable, uh, solo or with groups, um, that it shows, it shows why Anthem was not. And that's because Anthem forced you back. Everything about Division is going farther away from home and the risk versus reward. And when you look at Anthem... It forced you back all the time. Five-minute mission, boom, we're teleporting you back. Into mission, blah, blah, blah. And you could never get rolling. And in this game, dude, I'm rolling all the time. Even if I look goofy doing it. I'm just constantly moving forward. And I, I love it. I love that part about it. It's still got issues. Yeah. but I, I think it very much understands what it is, which is the, the fiction itself is interesting. So while I'm not as big a fan as I was, for example, with like a Bioshock Infinite of, of picking right. up all the hollow tapes or um, the, the audio logs and, and listening to them, um, this game had me interested in the fiction. So I do like when the, the map pings me and goes uh, yeah. electronic device nearby or whatever, I, I go and listen to it intently. Because, um, you know, one of them I listened to was like two cops talking about something happening in New York versus what's happening here. And they're like, why would they right. quarantine yeah. it? Like they were commenting on things that you already knew what happened and how they went. Um, so that was cool. But like I said, I think it very much understands what genre it's in, which has never been one that has delivered strong storytelling. We saw Bioware try to do it with Anthem, like, oh, we're going to deliver a really powerful story with great characters. And, well, I think the product speaks for itself. It, it really tried to do too much at once and, and failed on all fronts. Uh, maybe not the gameplay as much. Uh, for those who've been playing it, it sounds like it's it's been fun to play. But point being is the division gets you in a rhythm quickly. It's always having you cycle out loot, almost like Borderlands, which we were talking about earlier. You're always changing something about your armor, your gun, you're giving something a new look. And I think that keeps you involved when you're going from mission to mission. Uh, the environments are altered uh, dramatically. You know, you'll be in yeah. one space museum shooting in a, a room that has like a... Like, like space the, like, shuttle or no, yeah, yeah, like just crazy yeah, shit. And yeah. then next one, you'll be in another museum where they have like the Vietnam War settings Vietnam, that you're shooting that's through. Such a good section, right? And you're like, this. It's like I feel, even though I'm in West or almost like West Virginia, even though I'm in Washington D.C., I don't feel like I'm there. And I think that makes it feel much better than the uh, the constant snowy streets of New York City, which I love personally. You know, I, I thought that was great, but. Um, there's enough variety where once I pop out of that mission, I come up for air and I see Washington, D.C., which I have a little bit of bias towards as someone who's fought three is one of my favorite games of all time. So going to any post-apocalyptic Washington, D.C., I'm, I'm jazzed about. But uh, when you come up from air, for air after one of these mission spaces, um, it, it's so refreshing to explore the world, um, especially because the way they separate it into districts, uh, I feel like if you're a New Yorker, which, Colin, I know you are, correct or, or native long islander yep. right new yeah I'm, a, I'm an islander yeah okay uh, born and raised yeah okay so yeah like we can appreciate as new yorkers you know like the the, the various districts there because yeah. the, there's little differences that you can tell if, if you've been there before um but when you're looking at it from like you know a game perspective and um how it was designed some some of those 
changes they made to the districts don't they were true to what they actually were but they didn't stand out as significantly um and, and i think in washington dc it was a strong selection for a setting because there is so much variety there whether you live there or not um and i think yeah. that's really helped out the game quite a bit and what's great is is what we've talked about this whole time is how good the pve is how enjoyable combat has been the 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 battle spaces and we have yet to hit what, I put this in quotes, the end game, where you go to the dark zone, you fight other players, you steal their loot, there's more dynamic elements there, um, and what that entails. You know, so if the, if the front end of the game is good, then you have to, I don't want to say assume, but have to imagine that the back game is just as well thought out. I've, I've enjoyed, the, I've done the dark zone some, and I've okay. enjoyed it overall. Um, I think that there is an un, not an unrealistic expectation, and you guys may disagree, but I think that when you pay 60 bucks and you have somebody go, I didn't get 500 hours out of this game. I'm like, <laughs> ah, yeah, well, you know, like at some point you do have to, you do have to just assume it's, it, the content's not going to keep coming. But so mm-hmm. far there is, there is a bunch. Um, whether that continues, I don't know. I'm only at level 21 now, I think. So um, I do know people who finish the single player all the way through and, and have done a bunch of, of Dark Zone stuff. The Dark Zone really does have its own, almost its own mythos now, though, which is cool, which I like. And a lot of people who just do the Dark Zone mostly seem to be enjoying it overall. I will say I think it's also the most tech problem-free game we've seen in a long time. I was able to get on. Apex is probably the only other one um, where I was able to overall get on and play without a ton of disconnects and all that stuff, which I find uh, pretty refreshing. Might might have been helped by the staggered bullshit twenty dollar premium rollout that they did but yeah we're seeing that no. a lot judgments doing that i saw oh yeah uh, obviously EA did with anthem um yeah, yeah, yeah division obviously did yeah so we're seeing that a lot I, I don't know like i don't mind the the because if, if you're excited for a game and, and you're gonna pay for that um chances are like the people how do i word it the people who are excited are gonna pay for it anyway right they're probably gonna buy the most expensive version if they're like really stoked for it um provided they have yep. the funds I uh, yeah I don't uh, yeah I don't know I don't know I that would be a podcast all on its own to discuss <laughs> the purchasing that's going to occur especially in 2020 from a couple things I've heard that like we're we're in for a, a unique time when it comes to buying games mm-hmm. and and what you get day one but what did you guys like for skills I've used um, cluster mines which are amazing they seek out enemies blow them up into the air and then I chose the uh, I'm using the drone with the machine gun. Did you guys choose different ones? Yes. I uh, I selected originally a chem launcher with fire mm-hmm. and the seeker mine that set people on fire. Uh, mm-hmm. The chem launcher originally wasn't doing it for me because you have to shoot it. And then I was playing by myself originally, so I had to shoot it. They'd and react, they'd run it. away from it. And so, I'd, yeah, while I'm pulling out my gun, they'd clear the area and I wouldn't be able to set them on fire. Um, so what I ended up doing was switching to the riot glue or whatever it's called or the foam and and, and sticking one person in place that work wasn't working as well so i changed to the reflector shield which oh. is actually fucking awesome so what <laughs> happens is um if you're aiming at someone it'll highlight them and that is now your target for reflection so when someone's shooting at me as long as they're they're hitting the shield i had a sniper take a shot at me and it clearly bounced off my shield and you saw it go straight to this guy's head and it killed him and i didn't fire a single shot oh, from my pistol oh, I didn't know and, and what's awesome is there's no cooldown so it allows you to play aggressively when you want to 
uh, and gives the gameplay a little more variety. And especially because you're switching out all these skills, there is already inherently built variety. But that was a different type of play style where usually in these third-person shooters, hunker and cover, away from the peak their head, headshot them, dip again. But this one actually, yeah, yeah, this one actually encouraged a little more aggression. Uh, It made the pistol actually useful, which I never used my pistol in the first division, but now I'm using it with this ability. Uh, And it was fresh, so I I, I like that one a lot. Uh, Colin, what have you been using? Um, So I'm only like level eight, I think. So uh, the first one, since I intend on playing alone, the first one I unlocked was like that pulse kind of thing to identify Mm, enemies around you, which I thought would be more useful than it was. I kind of regretted taking it. I think I need to upgrade it more in order to have a bigger circumference in which I can track enemies, because I thought that that might be useful to just put people on my radar. But then uh, the second one, I I just got the gun turret, um, Mm -hmm. and I like it because I just throw it in the middle of a bunch of enemies. They all focus on it, and then it'll eventually destroy it, but that takes some fire off me to allow me to move getting closer or, you know, do some damage to their backs or their heads or whatever. So, and you know, one of the cool things I like about this game is that is the complete suspension of disbelief between the setting and kind of the mood and then the combat. Mm-hmm. Like it's a role-playing game with numbers pou- bouncing out of enemies. Yeah. But you're in this very, you know, like one shot from a pistol is going to kill all these people in real life, but it's not fucking spec ops the line or something. It's, it embraces its gaminess while yeah. still having uh, this well, really sorry. cool, really robust setting. And I think that that's neat. So, um, yeah, so I'm very early. I'm very in early days compared to you guys. But those are the ones that I've gotten. And what I like about this is that I think we all selected uh, different stuff. Yeah. So uh, the, yeah. the permutations are seemingly endless. Uh, and uh, I'm excited. After I get off this uh, off of this podcast with you guys, I'm probably going to eat and then go play more because I'm, I'm really stoked about it. <clears throat> I also think it's cool because, you know, um, I, I, we all share, like, um, ways to do better in it. And some of the way, like, the stuff I was sharing was stuff that – that other people hadn't tried and the stuff they shared with me, like things to do. Like one of the things of course is you can always time, you know, if somebody's throwing a grenade as their arm goes back, if you shoot them even once, they'll drop the grenade at their feet, which, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously help you. But there were things that they were coming up with that the, for example, like on the consoles, you have the quick turn skill that you can turn on in the options. You can adjust all these control options, but on the PC, uh, you move around cover very slowly. You have to hold a button, but you can turn that off so that you move around cover instantly. And then you can also turn the skills on so they work instantly versus holding them down. So it's like suddenly it changes the way it feels versus the more methodical hold down Q. I'm talking about the PC, holding right. down Q for your drone to come out. And we were talking about all these different ways to handle different enemies. For example, I did not know until probably eighth or ninth level to shoot the gas cans on their waists. Like, I just did not, I didn't see, of course I should have thought of that because they throw them. But it was like, once I realized you can destroy a bunch of people by shooting any items on their belts, then that changed the way I wanted to play. Like, did Mm -hmm. I want, you know, did I want to circle around and try to get a couple shots and and do damage that way? Also, graphically, hats off to them because they did the thing that I always talk about, which is the suspension of disbelief in your combat roles and the explosive armor. It sounds dumb, but it yeah. does one. It, it removes the feeling of sponginess, even though there is some still there. Yeah, it removes yeah. it, and arti- it, it adds an artificial atmosphere that's as long as you buy into it pretty quickly, you can just be like, okay, like I get it. I have to shoot his helmet off, and I think that does a good job for gamers. It makes them feel a little bit more like, you know, like he said, you shoot somebody once with a gun. Yeah, it would kill him. 
that's not what this game's about. But they they knew that you still needed to be met in the middle ground, and they mm-hmm. did that graphically, which I think is the most telling. Audio also in the game, audio because I'm testing audio for the review, and their auto channeling, the separation um, is very well done. Like I can usually identify if somebody's not only firing what direction, if they're down a tunnel versus around a corner, if they're inside the building, outside, just by listening to the audio, which is really really impressive. Now, I know in your reviews, you really look into AI, and I want to know your thoughts because I personally felt that I, I was pretty shocked by how I thought good the AI was because, for example, if they saw my friend, they'd set up in cover to attack him. And then when I'd come around the side, I'd shoot them. They'd react like, oh, shit, he's over there. And you'd see them kind of shift back into a separate corner away from me. Um, there still is the time where they'll walk out of cover or out of a doorway and they'll, they'll hold the, There's an enemy type that literally holds a gun yeah, sideways and, side and walks at you and just is <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to fucking kill you or I'm going to die right here. I don't care about anything else. Um, but for the most part, I thought the AI was pretty well done with the way they would flank you, the way they'd approach you, um, how, for example, uh, a grenadier would shoot uh, one right into your cover as like a, a person would charge you with a shotgun to sort of force you to move, but you're like, wait, which way do I want to move here? Because if I move that way, shotgunner's going to get me. If I move this way, I'm going to get blown up. And since damage is really heavy in this game, it's like you got to think on your toes pretty quick at times. Um, so I want to know what you thought about AI as someone who's probably taking a way deeper look than myself. Yeah, so I, do, I usually test the four, th- like the four things, you know, range and sight, uh, hearing, all of the different ways to see how the enemies are going to react and if they do react, because a lot of games will just have a sight reaction, no hearing, or the hearing reaction, you have to be really close. This game actually does a really good job on all of those. I will say they also do a great job in enemy variety in a setup. So, for example, the shotgun dudes. I fucking hate them, but I love them. They will come up behind you, and all you hear is boom, 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 as they're just following you relentlessly. And so it becomes this weird mid-range game where you're like, I need to hide. And you start to get a, almost a panic. Also, they have a very cool trick, which is where they time their bob up and downs to snipe you. They will time it. So a guy on the left will bob up. The guy on the right will, will go down. So you, as you swing to the left, he'll shoot once, then go down. The guy on the right pops up. So you're consistently having to figure out, like, do I take a couple shots at this guy? They sort of think and move. They also do a thing that's from the game Fear, where they verbalize uh, intent. So they'll, so they'll verbalize what's going on. They'll be like, I'm under fire. Um, the, he's circling around. The guy's over here. That kind of stuff. And they verbalize their actions as well. You'll hear them say something like lobbing grenade before they do it. It's a trick. I mean, you, you, you can hear the developers from Fear. They do a really good GDC talk about it. Where they're, A lot of it's just a trick to cause the gamer to sort of buy into the atmosphere. And it works. It works really well. I think the only problem I have with the AI is, yeah, it loses its nuts sometimes. I, as I said, it's not Stephen Hawking, it's Stephen Tyler. It's like you, you get a lot of guys who everything's fine, and then suddenly a dude leaps up in front of you and like sort of moonwalks away from you, <laughs> but won't fire. And you're like, uh, what's happening right now? But that's usually just a failed AI algorithm where it, it's like it doesn't know where to go it's because there's so much you know, gunfire and shit right. going on. Um, I think it's done very well, and it's done way better than one, and I liked one. I think that this is actually a step above that. You still have dumb AI. You still have, you know, Mm -hmm. some weird auto. What did you think, Colin? Did you like the AI? Yeah, the AI, there's one interesting bad part of the AI that I noticed that frustrates me as someone who's playing alone and trying to get kind of the jump on people, 
is that if you sneak up on enemies, you've probably noticed this. If you sneak up on enemies from behind, if they're just wa- like there's a few of them walking down the street ahead of you, and so you want to just take a shot at one of them and initiate contact and try to kill one of them, they immediately react in like a split second to yeah. the gunshot. Where like I should have that guy getting hit in the back should be totally confused the way that gunfire is even coming from, and at least stand still so I can at least kill him and his friends scatter. But he yeah. scatters and all of his friends scatter. They react way too quick, um, yeah. and that's like my one problem. Where it doesn't make me want to initiate contact. It's like it doesn't even really matter if they see me or not because I get no advantage mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. seemingly from initiating gunfire because they all spread and they all react so quickly as opposed to like there being a few seconds like oh what's going on we didn't expect this to happen but otherwise I find the AI to be uh, consistent and uh, and like we've said before incredibly difficult which which I like personally. Did, um, did you also notice Colin if you throw a grenade they notice they know where you are which I yes. find odd. It's even worse because there's no gunshot. You'll throw the grenade, it'll blow up, and they all turn towards you, and you're like, wait, what? Like, there's yeah. no... <laughs> it's because, it's so. I think, because there's yes. no stealth mechanics in the game, I feel yeah. I feel like it's the AI's built for encounters constantly, so they just react that way all the time. They're not, I guess, programmed would be the right word for them to react to the unknown because they're supposed to always know where you are since there's, there's no stealth capabilities provided to the player, which I, I thought would be cool if they had, for example, a silent sniper rifle to start combat off, if you could pick up... I, a couple of enemies before the, the horde starts coming in because I think that could always be the end result. I, I think that's my only complaint is I'd love to be able to, like Colin said, initiate and confuse them or initiate and um, maybe remove a few before the rest notice and then you know it, you can hit me with your horde. But I guess uh, the only thing I'd be afraid of as uh, I'm 11 hours in right now is maybe the tedium of a rinse and repeat. Okay, here's another horde. I'm not going to be able to do anything about it other than. Um, just, just engage in, in this all-out combat, but I think what makes up the difference there is the AI, is the skill variety, is the cycling of weapons, where I started off with a sniper and an M1A rifle, and now I'm using a SMG that's like a mini Uzi and a pump-action shotgun, so, and plus oh, I'm, I, and I now... Yeah, you don't like the sorry, shotguns. Not weird, sorry, not weird in a bad way. Sorry, continue. I just meant, uh, I, I want to see what Colin chose, too. We chose so different weapons. That just surprised mm. me. Continue, sorry. No, and I was going to say, and my skills kind of reflect that, because I use the Seeker Mind that sets them on fire to usually try to engage and, and, and get the jump on them with some damage over time. If I got to, I can move in with my shield, reflect while I shift to cover in a big open area or not. And then, uh, because I, I, I've played a good chunk of this with a friend, uh, just one friend, so I've been able to strategize a little more in that realm. And I yeah. think that's also made it a little more enjoyable. But I will say my first four hours of the game were completely solo, and I, I enjoyed it just as much then. Although I felt it was a little bit easier, the way it scaled. I did not go down once playing by myself, uh, probably because it was levels one to four. But after that, uh, when I teamed up with my friend, it, it got much more difficult. What did you yeah, choose for your I, weapons? I, I've been using... Uh, so actually the game became exponential. Well, not exponentially, but easier for me when I stopped using like a bolt-action rifle, basically. Mm-hmm. I was using like this bolt-action rifle that really trailed upwards. So you really had to readjust yourself every time you shot it. It did a lot of damage. Um, and I was struggling with that. So now I don't know the exact names. I'm sorry, but I have a... Uh, okay. Now I'm using like an assault rifle with, you know, 30, a 30-clip 30 assault, ri- assault rifle. And uh, I have a sniper rifle too. But again... I just I have that need to initiate contact in some yeah. way that gives me an advantage and and you guys made you made great points because why do they know where the grenades coming from and like even with yeah. my turret it would be cool if I could throw my turret and they still have no idea where I am and I can sneak around and flank them but yeah they always seem to identify hopefully they'll maybe they'll fix that maybe they'll get feedback and fix that but mm-hmm. um, I found it most 
you know, when I play games like we were talking about Borderlands, I'm always the guy that uses machine guns and it's kind of spongy and stuff. So that's the way I'm kind of trying to play this game too. I just enjoy it like that. Right. Um, and uh, but yeah, t- to your guys' point, you can't you can't really take a lot of damage. I'm, I'm going through a lot of my med packs pretty quickly. Yeah. I upgraded those immediately so I can Me carry too. six of them. <laughs> Me too. Um, so, but it's a it's a really fantastic game. I'm really enjoying it, and uh, I'm I'm so pleased for their success because the competition could have been really hairy for them around this time, but it's pretty clear that they're going to come out the victor over yeah. Anthem at least, and um, and hopefully good things to come. And hey, shout out to them for doing their free DLC rollout and stuff too. I think there's a lot of value here. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a yeah. gamer that that has limited funds, I always try to remind my audience I get a lot of my games for free. Um, I don't live paycheck to paycheck. I try to put my views through the eyes of the person who has to buy their games, who does struggle or who does have families or do have families to take care of where they only buy a few games a year. I feel like this is a game you can extract an immense amount of value out of, not only now, um, but in the future as well. And so for those penny-pinching gamers, of which there are many, I I think this is an especially good game for you. Yeah. Also, Oh, I was just going to say real quick, Eddie, hats off to them. Um, the enemies actually have a shorter sight distance when it's foggy, which I thought oh, that's was cool. Neat. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. so that's I, cool. Yeah, I, I tested that because here's the thing: if you fire, they'll still know. You know, they're obviously they can beat in pretty well on sound. We've established that. Mm-hmm. But um, when it's raining very hard or it's very foggy, I, that was one of the first things I tested. Was I was like, how you know are they going to be godlike in the fog? They are absolutely not if you stop firing. So I have lost a number of enemies in the middle of battle during the foggy weather. You know the type I'm talking about. Yeah, because yeah. they do a very good fog system in this game. It's very volumetric. It's all very well. I was surprised well- by the changing weather and t- time of day and, and, and oh, whatnot. Dude, it's and actually, I, I found out, I went to go to a theater for, or I'm sorry, a theater, a settlement called the theater. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, because it was nighttime, it was not open. I thought the game was bugging. But then my friend and I went and I think we looked for a separate entrance. We came out. It was daytime. And then the, the settlement was open. Oh, it was actually pretty cool that that was something that happened. But to touch on the free DLC thing, um, they had actually released an update. And I don't have the patch notes, so I, there's probably bits I'm missing. But there were actually already pretty interesting changes that you will only notice if you played with a squad. Um, one of them is the addition of when my friend, for example, calls in a seeker mine, it shows a purple, like, you know, like when we call it in, it's like in that orange color and you can see like a a little hologram of where it would go, what your secret mind yeah. would do, or whatever you're placing, what it would do, and where it would be. You see that in purple for your teammate. So when I see my friend uh-huh. calling his in, I know who he's pinging it on or where he's going to put it. And I, without even communicating, it's almost like the pinging in Apex where you can just do a mechanic and know what the other player's doing. Uh, you can right. kind of work around that without communicating. So we can keep talking about, let's say we're, we're bullshit and we're talking about the game that night or something like that we can still coordinate strategy without breaking from the conversation, which I think is really good for a game like this where, you know, come the end game where people are rerunning missions on the hard difficulty or uh, doing doing a Dark Zone run, that uh, you can keep the conversation flowing, which is, I, I think, an intangible in a sense. But um, that was a new addition. They added some little HUD elements to let you know when you're approaching, like, a uh, propaganda station or, or, or a uh, hostage situation um, and they would mark that with a little... I think the question mark was always there, but they'd mark it differently to let you know you're approaching something. Um, just little tweaks like that already that were, I, I thought, pretty significant for team play and, and just general awareness of what you're doing uh, that I personally really liked. Um, I, I Also, we did find out yesterday, we tried for about two hours 
separate games, but we were all trying to do the same thing. You can hit somebody's grenade with your grenade. So I knew you could shoot <laughs> him. How the fuck did you manage I, to line that up? <laughs> it took me a while, but I was like, dude, I want to try this. And so he, he was trying and I was trying in separate games. We weren't at the, because he was on a, uh, the console. Uh-huh. We tried and tried. And it, if you hold the grenade, it's much easier, of course, you know, preparing and then wait. And as they throw it, you see your line mm-hmm. that you're that you're throwing it, and it seems to be much easier the closer it is. But it try, we tried and tried and tried, and I'm just about ready to give up. And I toss my grenade and his grenade, and they go bing, and they go bouncing off each other. I was like, that's really cool. Yeah. Like that was because I knew you could shoot them, so I was like, you could probably most of the time I would assume impact it with any weapon, mm-hmm. and you absolutely can, uh, which uh, which I thought was impressive. There's a lot of little technical things that I think um, are gonna. Hats off to him. You know they put in there that people miss. Like I use my Toby eye tracker. Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tried that out in, it, and it actually works quite well. I don't use it for the most part because of the lights that are in the room for recording videos. But um, the Toby eye tracker works in it, and it, I was I was pretty impressed. I think Ubisoft has cover has put that in a lot of their games, but mm-hmm. it's still cool that it's in there. It's just it's it, they've really covered a lot of stuff, especially with the controls and the changes you can make. I was really, really impressed. Agreed. Uh, any, any closing thoughts, Colin, Carrick? Nothing for me personally. No, okay. not really. I mean, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm still. I, you know, I get excited when people are excited about games and like kind of <laughs> can collect, exactly. like, can collectively like gather around games. Mm-hmm. And th- this is one of those games. Uh, I, I'm always pleased. You know, I'm a very, again, I'm a very old man. I'm, ve- I'm very set in my ways. I'm very, I play what I play. Um, but that doesn't mean I want any game to do badly, and quite the contrary, I get really stoked when these kind of tentpole games come out because then people gather around them and enjoy them. So it's it's kind yeah. of like one of those times in gaming, you know. Uh, this will, of course, wane as we move forward with another game coming out, and obviously even Sekiro comes out next week, and that's going to start distracting people and stuff. But it's just cool to be part of the zeitgeist right now yeah, and yeah. watch people enjoying something. I like that. We we forget about that, and I you know I've been doing this for a long time professionally, and I forget about it all the time, and I get really negative sometimes, and I'm in the weeds all the time, but. You know, we got to celebrate the, the good things and the fun things as much as we can. Agreed. And I have to be especially mindful of that. Agreed. It's nice to bounce off of Epic or Apex as well. Mm-hmm. To come out of Apex and be like, wow, that was for a free game. There's a lot there. And now, now have this. It's, it's very, I, I, I do too. Like, that's the big thing to me is positive. I mean, I'll be cynical as fuck on something. But I still want things to be good. And so when you get a fun game, it's so cool to talk about it with other people. Agreed. Yeah, especially something like the Division Two, which no one really had. I don't want to say no one had it on their radar, but no one was really talking about it. Especially, you yeah. know, there was the Epic Game Store thing. We thought that would hurt it a little bit. Converse, conversation was mostly around Anthem, so it's good to see, like like Colin said, that it kind of rose up and, and won won the battle. Yeah, um, but yeah, that'll that'll do it for episode one ninety four of the podcast. I just want to take a moment. Uh, I meant to do this in the beginning, but I want to thank both of you. You know, you both have really shaped how I view games, how I've critiqued games. Um, I've, I've followed Colin's work a bit longer, and then when I discovered Carrick, I followed his since then. That was many years ago. I just want to thank both of you for doing this. You know, this is, uh, it's very Absolutely. rare that someone who, who's grown up loving games and, and has watched both your work gets to sit down and have a chat with both of you. I know, Carrick, we, we've become friends over the years, and Colin, we have a, a newfound friendship, so to speak. But I just wanted to genuinely thank you guys. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you lot. very much. And, and, and I want to say just quick thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on your show. And uh, you guys are really smart, and, and I really enjoy the way you guys talk about games, so I, I hope that um, you continue to do so for a very long time. There's so much bad games coverage out there that it's so nice to hear people that know what they're talking about, that have passion and enthusiasm and knowledge and seek answers. 
Um, so I think that that's really great, and I'm wishing you the very best. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, good positive, good vibes in there. Thank you guys so much, and we hope you enjoyed. Once again, down below, Colin's Patreon, Carrick's Patreon, mine as well, if you'd like to support them. Uh, Colin's channel will also be down there, so do be sure to check him out. Easily some of the best games coverage out there. And we will Thank catch you. you guys in next week's episode. Peace out. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.